The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome to the show. This is episode 189 of The Boys of Tech for Monday the 29th of October 2012. My name is Edwin Herman and I should mention that we we didn't have a show last week. It was Labor Day here in New Zealand Monday last week so we didn't do a show but we've got a double whammy for you this week. And to help me out I am joined over Skype by Alec Doughty in Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to the show Al. Hi, thanks for having me back after such a long sojourn. Yeah, it's been a while. You you keeping well? I'm 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 keeping fit and fit and ready. Well, that's that's always a good thing. I understand that you're actually skyping on on a on is it Windows eight you're using? Indeed, uh, using the the actual the new um, Windows eight modern UI style app. Um, available in the Windows Marketplace, um, which is actually quite nice. Have Skype done a good job? Is it does it sort of integrate well with the sort of Windows Very eight well, style? Actually. Yeah. What do you think about the new Windows eight? You know, the whole start thing. Um. So it takes a little bit of while to get used to because um, you you do get used to doing things a particular way, but after as listeners would probably know if they've been listening for a while, I've been using uh, Windows 8 for about six months now, using the developer and then the consumer preview and then the release preview. Um, and I prefer it now. I yeah, is that right? I prefer is, it. Really? Yeah. It Good. makes finding things, once, once you've wrapped your head around it, it's actually easier to find things and faster to find things than it used to be. See, I, I keep, because I've used it, on and off a little bit here and there. Mm. And I find that I keep wanting to go to the desktop all the time. I just want to live in the desktop and forget that, to me, the other stuff is add-on stuff <laughs> that I just don't want. But maybe it's because I'm not used to it. Uh, exactly. And admittedly, at the moment, I, I spend a lot of my time on the desktop because uh, that's where all of my current productivity apps are. But I've ordered the new Microsoft Surface, which is a... Uh, Windows RT device, which means it doesn't come with the ability to uh, sideload old x86 applications onto the desktop. So I'll be living the new UI soon. Wow, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I, I guess as, as an experiment. Yeah, I, I guess uh, take the like, bullet so other people don't have. <laughs> oh, so so noble of you. You know, I think it's going to be like like any big change in operating system or software even like I'm thinking like you know the the whole ribbon change in the in office and other apps you know I, I think what I'm getting at is I think it's just a matter of getting used to it right once you're used Absolutely. to it people will love it I mean it, it, it was a similar thing when when uh, people went from um, Windows 3.1 or 3.11 to Windows 95 that was a huge difference and people would go back to the old 3.11 
program manager to do all of their program launching and everything. And that, that happened for a good year, year and a half after Windows 95 came out. And then when they get used to it, it's you don't look back, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it, just, it takes an iteration for everyone to actually get used to it. Understandably. And to forget that previous thing existed. So See, I, I'd, I I'd love to, to, to hear outcry about it for 12 to 18 months and then slowly, slowly, slowly people will start using it, realise how much better it is. Well, I'd love to get Brett's opinion on this. And in fact, next time he's on the panel, I think – I'll do just that because he he was for a while there when you know uh, you know Apple was bringing in aspects of the the iOS into macOS. Mm-hmm. He was sort of criticising them for for doing for doing that very thing and making it sort of a, if you like dumbing it down and less focus on the desktop and making things a bit more iPady. It'll be interesting to see his opinion now a little you know a little while on with Windows eight. I- yeah, I, I think Microsoft are taking the other direction, though. They're taking it in in the other direction. They that they've started with the with the full operating system and basically added in tablety focused UI into that. Yeah, well, rather, that, that's what Apple's doing rather, though as well with Mac OS ten. I mean, Mac, you know, they're bringing in those aspects in Mac OS ten to. Listen, the difference between the two. So they've brought an iOS stuff into macOS. Yeah, true, true. But but the big difference there is that their tablet operating system is iOS. So there's a marked difference between Apple tablets and Apple desktops, whereas in, in the, the Windows world, they're the same. Well, that's going to be even more interesting from... Uh, I think Brett's opinion is going to be even more interesting... In that respect. Tell you what, though, let's look ahead at some of the stories we're going to cover off this week. We have Gary McKinnon won't be extradited, it turns out. Amazon takes ebooks back from a customer. We'll find out why in a second. And also, Google threatens to exclude French media sites from its search results. Again, we'll find out why. But first of all, the, of course, if you were living, unless you were living under a rock, you would have heard that Apple has now released a new iPad, and it's called the iPad Mini. The rumours were there for a while, and it turns out it's true. It's being released, I think, New Zealand price $479. I think the US price is $329. Uh, the, the, from what I'm hearing is that it's a little bit pricey. And the worst-kept secret ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it seems that these days... Apple's finding it harder and harder to keep their secrets. Yeah, it, it, it's starting to appear that way, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've got friends that have been uh, vehemently going, no, Apple are never getting into the 7-inch tablet market. That's just stupid. Why would they do that? Why would, why would they bow down to pressures of the market? Um, but, okay, well, here's a question for you, actually, because I'm kind of one of those people. What would you use it for? Where would you use that where you couldn't use an iPad? Um, this is probably a better device when you're flying and those kind of cases where, where you're uh, sort of size constricted, I guess. I actually don't know. 
I because don't think I, I would the, use a seven-inch tablet. Yeah, see, I'm, I, I guess there must there, be people... There are people that, out there that want them. Yeah, I was just going to say, there must be people out there that do. And, you know, Apple's not the only company to, to be doing this. I, mean, I, that, I blinked. That, I'm sorry. That <laughs> is basically why Apple um, have done this, because of the, the popularity of the Google Nexus 7. Which is interesting because, as I say, that form factor to me, I, I don't really understand. To me, between the smartphone and the full you know, 10-inch tablet, to me, that's it's, it's either or. There are situations where you can't take a tablet, you take your smartphone. Other situations where you're not constricted by space, you take the tablet. When would you I, – I still don't get the 7-inch thing, but as you say, I guess – now that it's uh, the others are releasing their seven-inch tablets, and they're Apple, selling Apple, so well, yeah. I mean, so Apple there are people would that not have done it. this if Amazon with the with the Kindle Fire and Google with the Nexus Seven, and really Samsung with their seven-inch device. If those three devices hadn't been selling so well, Apple wouldn't have felt the pressure to do this, the need to do this. This is Apple reacting to the market. So they're saying, "Me too." Really? Yeah, essentially, yeah. Or we too, in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right there. Because, and in a way, it makes sense, right? Because if there's a market for seven-inch tablets and people are sort of um and ahhing, do I get an iPad or do I get one of the other seven-inch devices? And if the form factor is drawing you to those ones, well, that no longer becomes a factor in your decision if Apple can offer that form factor as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess you and I would never ever use a seven-inch tablet, right? I wouldn't say never ever, but I don't see a use case for it at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, you're right. Apple is definitely reacting to the market in this case. Now, Gary McKinnon, you've probably heard of him. He's the guy some years ago, was it, I think? Uh, He hacked into US military computers. He claims he was searching for information on UFOs. He's got Asperger's, I believe. He's been diagnosed with that. And up until recently, he was facing an extradition charge. Now, the US have basically you know, filed for extradition. They claim how many millions of dollars worth of, of, of damage that he did, or $800,000, I think it was? Something crazy. 800000 Yeah, 800000 US dollars worth of damage, so the US claims. And of course... They want to make an example of him because yeah. this Gary McKinnon, he's a 46-year-old Scottish guy. He he did what he did. He hacked into the you know US military computers to supposedly find information on UFOs. And that's really embarrassing for the US, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to make an example of him. And so they want to extradite him. And yeah. goodness knows what's going to happen to him when he, when he gets tried there. So for a while, a lot of people, particularly... UK people were saying, no, at the very least, he should be tried in the UK and yeah, sentenced in the UK. he is a UK citizen. He is. He is yeah. indeed. The same could be said for uh, for Kim.com, though, couldn't it? Yeah, well, look, that's a point. I hadn't... You're absolutely right. What's the difference? Yeah, there now, is no difference, this, really. The, well, there is... It's, it's the US sort of stretching their international muscle. Yeah, and I guess the thing is, you know, on the flip side, extradition laws exist for a reason. I think it comes down, though, to whether we as society believe that those reasons are the right reasons. Correct me if I'm wrong, but traditionally extradition laws were set up so that countries could get hold of 
their own expatriates that might have committed crimes on sovereign soil and then fled. Ah, okay. I'm, I'm not aware of that, but it, I can understand why that sounds plausible. It certainly could could have been the case. Yeah, I'm, I'm not aware of that though. Certainly, you know, I think uh, people probably wouldn't argue with extradition for drug trafficking, for murder, for people trafficking as well, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Money laundering perhaps, you know, big international crimes. This sort of thing, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. It, it, it sort of polarizes people. Some still think, yeah, he should go to the US and face trial. Others say, well, no, he should be facing trial in the UK. So anyway, the good news is is that he, I think it's over now. He, he's He's been told he is not going to be extradited. And I, I believe if, I, if I've got my facts right, that they are considering whether he should face trial in Britain. I was going to ask, is it over, over, or is just that part of his journey? Yeah, over? that would just be the, sorry, the, to make that clear, the extradition uh, trial. trial, if you like, is uh, that's not going to happen. Or hearing, what, that's what, over. whatever the, it would. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a hearing, not a trial, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think I think yeah. you're right. So yeah, that that's over, but he still could face trial in Britain, mm. uh, and and I think that's going to make a, a lot of people who were you know against the whole extradition thing to start with happy. Indeed, and yet America will probably still get their way. Well, you know, it remains to be seen. I also with the well, Kim, well, Kim dot com thing, are they going to get their way there? I don't know. Well, by I don't necessarily mean get him extradited. I mean get him prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Ah, right. Okay. So putting pressure on the on the UK yeah. to yeah, yeah. I see what influencing you're the the UK and New Zealand governments to do what the US wants for Gary McKinnon and Kim dot com respectively. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah you pro- you're probably probably right. Of course, so Kim dot com still isn't clear of extradition, unlike Gary no, McKinnon. So he, 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 he yeah. could well still go, but yeah. I don't know, the whole thing's been bungled so badly, I <laughs> I don't know whether it's ever going to go anywhere at all. Yeah. Maybe a judge is going to throw it out and say, right, this is com- yeah, this is a complete balls up. And there's the whole, the whole. have you heard the, the Kim.com side of things in the US where there's um, a, a court in the US has decided that even though – Mega Upload as a company isn't registered in in the US as a company that it's still legal and okay for the company to get served as a defendant. Now that's interesting because yeah, where, how does that work with you know, I don't know. sovereign it, borders? It seems to me that the, the, the US is just bending laws left, left, right and centre. Yeah, how far should a country be able to impose its laws. That's really what it comes down to. Well, I guess it also comes down to what country is it? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And what are the relationships between the the country asking and the country, uh, you know... Bowing down. Bow, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Bend over. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so on to, let's leave that there. That's Gary McKinnon. Amazon, apparently... This is interesting. A customer bought some, some e-books off Amazon... She used a credit card and paid for them, and she was enjoying them for a while. And then, after a while, Amazon decided. And there's a good reason why they decided this. Well, there's a reason anyway. They decided she shouldn't have those ebooks, and they closed her account. The reason Amazon give for this is that the customer was in Norway, but using a UK Amazon account. That's not actually the initial reason that they actually gave either. 
what the, the the initial reason that they actually gave was because that current account that she was using was associated with another previously banned account. Oh, is that right? Yeah, or something. See, I whether it was her previously banned account or what's going on, Amazon would never elaborate. Because my understanding is that she set up this UK account using yeah, a friend's is, a UK address and Amazon didn't like that. But you're also saying that there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah, the, the initial story that they gave was that it was that account was associated with a previously banned account and it was then hypothesised that the reason was really that she's in Norway and using a, a, a UK account. All right. So yeah. it's a little bit murky as to what the real reasons Absolutely, are. Absolutely, because... Amazon have not spoken up about it. And interestingly, the account is now fine. It's been magically switched back on since all of this, this media attention has, has been sort of poured on, on the issue. If they were to cancel someone's account and not let them get access to, to the ebooks next, you know, the next time that authentication mm-hmm. is required, do you think that person should, should be issued a refund? Well, that's, that's the issue. Because you're not actually buying ebooks through anyone. What you're so doing what do you, what do you is get? paying for a perpetual license, which is revocable. And that's the fine print that people don't read, right? Exactly. It's the EULA. Yeah. It doesn't help See, that, that um, the button says buy on Amazon's site or on... Well, you um, are buying something. You're, you're buying a license, not an ebook. Oh, no, right? no, you're not buying a license even. You are licensing something. You're licensing, not well, you, buying. You, you're giving, you're giving uh, Amazon money. Yeah. It's, and it's and they're, they're, they're granting you a license. So you're effectively it's buying... Effectively a, a, it's a rental. It's a perpetual rental. A one, a one payment only rental. Which Amazon can revoke at any time. Yeah, yeah. See, that, that that kind of is a little bit like the whole music debate as well. You know, with CDs and and copying CDs for your. You say you make a copy for your car or your friends. Are you allowed to do that? Well, the answer is no. But why? What are you actually getting when you buy a CD? Mm. And this is kind of similar, isn't it? You're you're not getting the item itself. You're getting uh, the rights to yeah under a license to have that on your device and read and interact with it. Exactly. Yeah. My view is pretty simple. It's it's pretty straightforward. If a user has broken terms and conditions, no refunds needed. That's my view. If they haven't and Amazon wants to do it, well, the thing is, it could be in the license that says they're allowed to do it, but if they're not, then I think they should be entitled to a refund. I do agree that it's based on, on the circumstances but if you if you looked at the actual terms and conditions that Amazon have given themselves an out that they can just do whatever they want, effectively. See, I mean, airlines. It's, are- it's not in their best interests from a business perspective to to do that, but they have the ability to do it. And hey, if the market is you know if everyone else is doing that, then there's no disadvantage to them as a company for for doing that. No. no. You know, airlines are a little bit the same as well because when you book, at least here in New Zealand, and I, I don't know whether it's the same anywhere else, but when you book a ticket for a flight, you're not actually booking a seat on a flight. 
what you're doing is you're booking a ticket to get you from A to B at some point, not necessarily on that particular flight. And so what yeah, airlines exactly. do is they, they deliberately overbook by a certain amount, very rarely, but it does happen, uh, but very rarely does it get to the point where they need to bump passengers. But they, they, they can and they do, and it's still within the rules because what you haven't booked a seat on that particular flight. You just Not booked. until you actually check in. Yeah. And so they get around around it like that. So And and that's one reason to get in early and check in as soon as possible. Oh yes, indeed. To be fair, most airlines will try to make good and if they bump you off They'll either give you uh, an extra voucher to use the next time, or, or they'll get, uh, upgrade you to uh, to business class or something like that. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's a similar sort of concept. Now in France, Google is threatening to exclude French media sites from their search results. Now this all stems from the proposal in France to introduce a tax, so that when someone links to media content. Some money needs needs to exchange, right? So, so the yeah, person linking the needs link. to pay. Yeah, just for the link. And Google, it's, of course, doesn't agree with that. And no. their their well, response it, is, well, if it, this goes ahead, we're not going to include any links. In our, we're not going to include any search results to French media. Internet. Well, only in France. Yeah, but I mean, the, the World Wide Web relies on links. That's how it operates. That's how how it works. So to start taxing it is fundamentally changing how the, the World Wide Web works. I think it's a just a crazy money grab. Yeah, it does seem like a money grab, I agree. Yeah. It does. And what, good what on is, Google for doing this, I think. So what about uh, deep linking versus, say, linking to the, the homepage? Is it okay to, to introduce law where deep linking is charged, but front page What's, linking isn't? What's your definition of deep linking? Let's say in this case, anything but, oh, yeah, I see what you mean, because what if you put a link to the international section of a of a site? Yeah, I see what you're saying. That, that, well, that's a very, very good question. Uh, well, you know, if it was to mean anything but the front page, you wouldn't agree with that, would you? With charging for, for links to anything other than the front page. I think charging for links, for any links, is not okay. I don't care if it's like the the portal page of Times of uh, New York Times or, or or what. It doesn't matter. I mean, if New York Times wants to charge for access, yeah. that's one thing. Yeah, that's right. But for a government to legislate that even linking on a search index, uh, it's a dangerous, slippery slope. That is obviously being pushed for by French media. Yeah. Now, look, I, I agree with you. I, I think it goes against the principles of the web. And I also think that it's it, it's really not, to be honest, it's not going to work. It's going to fall flat on its face. How is it going to be enforceable? That's a very, very good question. Outside, the, outside the borders really of France. big companies like Google that are going to get driven out of business. Well, the thing is, if this goes ahead in France then really there's not much they can do to links that are coming from companies outside of France. Unfortunately, of course, Google, I think, have a presence in France, I believe. Yeah, which is why Google is saying, we're out. Yeah, well, exactly. That's right. Well, they could any they could do that anyway, but the, the point is, is that they're doing that because otherwise they could get pinged. And certainly that could be enforced. You know, any, any company operating in France, uh, you know, 
could be enforced. Mm. Uh, that situation could be enforced. But you're yeah. right. The thing is, in general, outside of that, it, it's it's not but enforceable. I, I think the far-reaching thing with this is that the French government wants it to apply to links anywhere in, on the internet that link to French media. Yeah, but that's not so enforceable, right? That's not enforceable. I, I know it's not possible. Uh, unless they do a US and extradite yeah. everyone. Exactly. <laughs> it might work. Send little tax bills internationally. <laughs> That's right. I could... you, owe, you owe us 52 cents. <laughs> yeah, you better watch out because they, you, you might find the helicopters and the, you know, the, <laughs> the armed forces are there all coming to a, a sweep on your house because you're, you're linked and you'll be sent off to France to face the consequences. The Bastille. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, look, I, I can't see this uh, working, to be honest. No, yeah, look, I agree with you. I think it's fun. it's it's good that Google are sort of making a, a stand on this. Yeah. Now, Nissan has announced it's going to introduce Steer by Wire. And look, I, I'll admit something here. Call me naive, but I kind of thought all new cars now were drive-by-wire. But I'm talking brakes, accelerator, and steering, but apparently not. Apparently not. I thought they were. I really did. I just thought I thought new cars now we were driving by wire, but we're not. We're there's still a the rack and uh, what do you call it rack and pinion pinion. That's it. Rack and pinion for your steering. Now that's not to say there's no there's no uh, assistance from the car. There certainly is. Yeah. But there is. Uh, I mean that's what power steering it, is. Well, exactly yeah. power steering. It's just hydraulics to 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 assist the manual movement. That's right. But there is still a physical link between the steering wheel and the wheels of a car, or at least a yeah. direction, I should say, of the of the wheels of the car. Otherwise, your steering wheel will be spinning around. That's not right. Uh, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> Full 360. <laughs> Imagine that. It's like a wind-up car. Yeah. The faster you turn the steering wheel, the faster you drive. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Anyway, um, yeah, so they're, they're, <laughs> Nissan uh, have announced they're going to introduce steer-by-wire. Uh, I think it's going to be set for the showrooms uh, next year, 2013. Uh, they're the first, uh, I believe, the first car manufacturer to leap into that sort of space. And I think it's interesting purely from a, a fact that Doing doing this is one step away from just getting rid of the steering wheel altogether. All right, so you can either have yeah um, switches left, right, left, right, left, right, or a joystick, or a slider. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're no longer constricted to that form factor. Exactly, and also it's not a a, a big leap away either. From driverless cars as well, no, because the car can now. Obviously, there's still the uh, the AI that still needs to happen, but that's basically the only thing remaining. Once we've got drive by wire, the car can drive itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, as long as you add the add the AI. So yeah, anyway, so they're, they're going to do that. It's going to be interesting to see how people react to that. There are people that really don't like that. But you know you know what, Al? I think it's going to be like any driverless system. People are going to initially say, oh, no, we can't have that. And, I mean, you look at, say, for example, Docklands Light Rail in London, right? These We've got these driverless light rail trains or whatever you call mm-hmm. them. And they're, they're driverless, you know. I, I set up right up the front where the driver would be yeah. on this thing. People trust it. People accept it now after a initial 
reaction of, oh, don't know about that. I mean, planes are the same thing, you know. You hit a button and a plane can land itself. I think this is playing to the same sort of psychological dilemma or issue or, or what have you that's causing people to complain about Windows 8. Because it's different, because it's change. Well, I think that's part of it. But there is, I think with the, with the cars and trains and, and other such transport is that there's the, the danger factor or the, or the perceived risk of, of danger. Whereas Windows 8 isn't going to injure you, is it? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> a Mac fanboy might say it will. <laughs> oh, stay away. That's dangerous. Or maybe even a, a Linux fanboy probably would actually. <laughs> pr- pr- probably more so. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think you're right. That There is definitely that. But I think with, with cars, there's, there's more than just that. But anyway, but again, it, it's only the perception of the danger. The reality is is very different. Yeah, I know. And I think didn't they do a study? I think in the aviation industry, that autopilot is more reliable and safer than pilot driven. If I remember correctly, would not surprise me at all. So I mean, you know, there's always the risk that there's a bug in the software, and then mm-hmm. that goes that argument goes right out the window because you're playing to something stupid, right? But like Windows crashing or, or or something like that. But you know, so long as you put the checks and balances in place and mechanisms to mitigate that sort of stuff, or to mm-hmm. at least mitigate the impact. So if it does happen that there's either an override or some other, you know alert or something kicks in then I, you know I, if I remember correctly like I say the, the the study showed that the autopilot was safer it's more reliable and it's a perception that oh if a computer's driving a car it's it's not going to do it right yeah no the, the issue when, when you get to that that stage the issue isn't going to be all of the computer controlled cars on the road the issue is going to be the the five percent of of cars that are still manually driven by yeah, people that's right that's exactly right because you can't really do a lot if you're a if you're a computer and you're driving a bunch of passengers around there's not a lot you can do if someone behind you who's manually driving the car decides to floor it and ram straight into the yeah. back of your your it car hits the accelerator instead it, of the brake it, by accident exactly and and rams into the back of your car what you know so i think you're, you're absolutely right it's going to be the the manually driven cars that are going to be a problem mm-hmm. when when there's a mixed environment and it's going to get to the point where if you choose to manually drive your car, your premiums are going to be way higher. I think so. I, I think you're spot on there. Yeah. In the far distant future. Yeah, we're talking. We're not talking ten or twenty years, are we? Are we oh, talk- probably twenty. Do you I think, wouldn't be surprised uh, if it happens within yeah, twenty. Yeah, look, I think you're no. Twenty I, is a long time in 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 technology. Yeah, I don't know. I I can't see that happening in in twenty years, but. Look, whatever the figure, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. Perhaps I do over the figure, but the, conce- <laughs> the concept I don't. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's going to happen. So, like, It's going to be like that one day. It will happen. And when it happens, it'll happen fast. Yeah, yeah, it'll take off. Now, we talked about Windows. Let's just talk about uh, the, this. I saw the story about Windows 8 has this feature where you can, I believe you can log in without using a, a, a password, but instead something like like a picture. You can use a an image to to log in. Now, for accounts, it turns out that for accounts that use this feature, there's a bit of a security flaw where that password can be recovered because the password behind it is stored in a decryptable manner. And if you've got physical access, you need two things to crack this, right? 
physical access to the machine and administrator access. And to be fair, once you've got physical access, it's if only, you got it's only administrator access to a machine, you can just get all this and just reset passwords. It's it's a bit of a yeah. It's a bit of a non-issue, is what you're saying, right? In it, it it's a theoretical flaw. What it's a real flaw that has theoretical consequences. I don't think it has any real practical consequences. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right because once you've got administrative access, well, it's game over, right? Exactly. I mean, it's it's your system is already compromised if the person trying to get access to your computer to get your password has admin access. Yeah, no, I think you're. I th- yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of an. It, so it, the it's, horse it's, is already bolted. Yeah, exactly. You, you you said it all. Yep, I agree. It's exactly as you said. Yeah, the driverless car is disconnected from power and it's left the driveway. <laughs> nice little uh, throwback. I like it. All right, let's leave that story there. We're not going to talk about that anymore. But what we are going to talk about is the this other uh, security related story about boarding passes. So now, now of course, this is crazy. Yeah, this is very crazy. So in the US. You now have boarding passes that carry barcodes. And it turns out the barcode contains a bunch of information like your uh, your name, your flight, your seat. And as well as that, it contains information about what sort of security checks you will be subject to once you know once you, you go through the, the gate. Yeah, because because basically their system, the TSA security model in the US, kind of relies on Random selection for additional security screening. That's right. Um, above and beyond the standard screenings that happen with those body scanners and all of that sort of stuff. And, and the way that they actually do this is to predefine who those random people are when they actually issue the tickets. But it turns out that bad guys can actually just read the barcode and go, oh, sweet. I'm not due for uh, any uh, any deep scanning today. Quick, guys, give me all the explosives. I'll take it through. Yeah, exactly. Now, what I was going to add, though, was also that some of it's random, but obviously some of it will be as a result of your name being flagged on a on a list, right? You know, if, if you're um, if you're, yeah, if you're pa- a marked partially. person, yeah, that's that, that's part. If, if if you're deemed a um, a, a risk, high risk in uh, profiling terms then you would get this treatment as well. But they also do it sort of randomly to, to anyone. That's right. And so the key thing here, as you said, is that people can read these barcodes, this software that, that can interpret these barcodes because the information is not encrypted. So yeah, as, so as, as long as, as you, you can said, read the barcode and there's plenty of software that will do oh that. Oh, yeah. You know exactly what sort of security checks you're going to be subject to and that, may, in theory, that could decide as to whether you you conceal something in certain areas or not and and that's a huge risk. That's, that's a major flaw in the, in the design. Big flaw. Who wrote this system anyway? I mean, seriously though, that was not just a rhetorical question. Who wrote, who created that? And how the, the how clowns that... The, Head up the the TSA. I mean, this. this well, I mean, that would have been contracted out. Surely, difference right? between between real security and security theater, which is what TSA yeah. are. Yeah, TSA yeah, yeah. are security <laughs> yeah, yeah. theater. I like I like that term actually. Yeah. So Stupid. I think things things are going to change in that space. I'm sure that it can't. This is out now. People know about this. It 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 can't go on. But they'll do something but, else just as idiotic to replace it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, have, you don't have a lot of faith in the TSA, do you? No. Not a lot of people do, though, actually. Not a lot of people do. I've seen many videos of, uh, I, you've probably seen them as well, of people arguing with the TSA or, or um, you know, using using logic against some crazy, uh, you know, against the TSA's crazy logic, let's say, and, and they post those videos on YouTube and stuff. <laughs> people don't like the TSA. No. With good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real security, no problem with real security, right? No one, no. no one's arguing against that. Yeah, it's necessary. But as you say, this isn't necessarily always real security. No. It's basically security put in place so that a senator can tick a box to say, we did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, how do you feel? Here's another story. One of the, a senior government official has sparked a bit of bit of anger amongst people because he suggested that people provide fake details when signing up online. So, for example, when it asks you for your date of birth, don't put your real date of birth in, put something that you made up, kind of like almost like a password, really. Mm-hmm. The reason, of course, for that is that if someone knows your, your date of birth, it's a lot easier for them to gain access to your account. Now, there's two sides to this. I think... I would agree with them that it's more secure to make up a date of birth, right? You're basically picking a random number from 1 to 365 or perhaps 1 to 365.25 to take into account the, the leap year every four mm-hmm. years. Anyway, it's more secure. I, I, I think there's, there's no doubt about that, right? The question is, is it ethical and should a government official be suggesting that? And is it, you know, is it the right thing to do? I think this is the difference between just a uh, internet security guy that works for the for, for the government and an actual like PR trained minister or someone saying something. I mean th- this was just some IT guy speaking his mind which is fine but a lot of people have kind of believed that He's saying it in an official capacity, and I'm, and I'm not even sure if he was doing that. Well, I, I'm not sure either how in what capacity he was saying that. But it, it, you know, the thing is, when you're in the when you when you're in that sort of position, you need to understand that whatever you do do is is viewed in that way anyway, and and that com- that comes with the territory, right? So yeah. he he should know better, I think. I mean, it's I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a major wrong that he did, but it just seems a little. Crazy. It, it seems you know you, you, w- the way it appears, if you like, is that someone from the government. This is how people see it. Someone from the government is saying lie, lie, yeah, lie about your details, and yeah. and I think that's the, the the thing that looks looks crazy. But yeah, the ironic thing is that he's right, okay, because it is it's harder for someone to crack your account if you've made up a date of birth than if you used your real one, because there's, there's that small chance that they can actually find that extra bit of information out. Yeah, and, and that's only if those online services utilize those types of information points as part of the, the password recovery process. A lot of them use those three questions that only you know type type deal of like what what's your first pet's name? What was your first high school teacher? What's your mother's maiden name? Like really questions that anyone can work out if they spend a bit of time That's right. If, if they're in your circles or, uh, yeah. or, or if, so 
you know, if you do, if you can do a bit of research on on the, you know, he, look, yeah. you just actually made reminded me of of, uh, of something I, I saw on the uh, YouTube or somewhere about they had this. I, I can't remember where this was set up, but they had this tent set up. I should actually post if I can dig out the link. I'll put it in the show notes actually because it's it's fantastic. They set up this tent somewhere inside which was a, supposedly a clairvoyant, and so you would see, and they set up a hidden camera, and you'd see this, you know, the the a customer, if you like, come in and, and they sit down and and then this guy starts spouting out all these things about you, like, you know, you you lost a cat recently in such and such area. You spent five hundred pounds on shoes recently and the person's going, How does he know this? This is real. This is all their jaw drops and, and they're speechless. Yeah. And what happens and they show this, the side of the tent drops and on the other side of the the, the petition is about six or seven balaclava-clad guys dressed in black basically Googling and cyber-stalking. Yeah. And it's being fed to this supposed clairvoyant in his ear, real time. Yeah, yeah. So your information is out there, right? Exactly, exactly. That's kind of my point. But I think you should use real identities on on the internet, uh, real information, when it's not harming your your personal safety. For you to use that, like if you were an activist in in a country that has an oppressive regime, obviously anonymity is your friend. Oh, totally. But yeah. In our countries, um, New Zealand, Australia, America, UK, etc., where we don't have fear of um of an oppressive government or as much fear of, of <laughs> nice our oppressive there, government. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Use your real information, but when it comes to the security questions that are put in place to enable password recovery, don't use real information there. Yeah, I that's use very, something made yeah. up there. That is very, very good advice. I I totally agree with you, and I I think you've got it. That, that I I think that's very good advice. Use real information about you. What's your name? Where do you live? And so on. Absolutely, keep it real. But as you said, with those security questions, there you can make up whatever you like. Absolutely. And I think that's very good advice. And on that note, on that good advice note, I think we'll close episode 189. What do you say? Fabulous. All right. Well, in that case, Al, thank you very much for co-hosting. Wow. It's been fun. I've missed it. Yeah. We'll have to get you on here more often. And we'll have to get Cameron back as well to to give us an update on drinkle.com. We will indeed. In the meantime, though, that's it. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. See you again next week. Goodbye. Sayonara. Sayonara.